Okay, I am here at Foden today with Ryan Zantier, and he is a government and legal studies. Are you a government and legal studies, no matter who you are, or yeah, are you yeah. only government? I'm government and okay. legal studies, with a concentration in American politics. Okay, and a cinema studies minor, mm -hmm. and he is also co-president of the Bowdoin Film Society. That's right. And has also been an amazing student assistant to our department in the summer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not forgetting that. <laughs> um, so, we're going to talk about three questions, and it'll be my responsibility to get us to cover each one of those. And the three questions are, what's most important to you? What does a liberal arts education mean to you? And what do you wish your professors knew about you? Mm -hmm. So, you do not need to stress at all about getting there. I will. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start with, oh, and I also wanted to talk about um, where you're from. So let's okay. make sure we cover that sure. at some point. Or where you're from and where you live and okay. what that all means. Mm -hmm. um, so what's most important to you? Um, I think what's most important to me is a very broad idea, but what's most important to me is, is understanding, um, understanding other people. I am a writing assistant in the writing project. Oh, nice. And Can I find... Can you explain a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so um, students come in from different classes with papers that they've written for those classes before the due date, in, and, the, and as a writing assistant I read the, the papers and give my comments on them, and, and those are generally about organization and sentence structure, paragraph stru structure, um, trying to get the writer to express as clearly as he or she can uh, what the argument of the paper is. And so one of the things I find myself asking a lot is, you know, what does this mean? I'm really mm -hmm. trying to get an un understanding not only what the writer's arguing, but what perspective the writer has about what he or she's talking about. And I, and I find myself struck by the, the idea that um, very frequently we're a, a little bit afraid of, of allowing other people to understand us. I think that's in some sense why we have a hard time sometimes writing clearly as students, because we're a, a little bit afraid that if we say something that's a little too clear, that that'll be a little bit of a window into ourselves and so so you think that uh, writing that sort of obfuscates is a defense mechanism in some way I think so hmm. because it well first of all it reveals what we don't know and that's a little bit scary or, or right being clear it reveals right. what we don't know um, so we can say in very vague language kind of what we think we mean but that won't reveal what we are a little bit self-conscious about and then, but on a little bit more, you know, a little bit more broad understanding, by being a little bit vague, we close that window to the professor or whoever's going to be reading the paper to really kind of understanding us in a, in a more um, profound way, if that makes sense. Um, and I, but I think that understanding one another is kind of one of the most important things. It's certainly most important to me um, that we understand even those who we disagree with, um, that we understand where that person's coming from, why that person believes what he or she believes, um, why they say the things that they say, and not to just 
shed those people out of society mm-hmm. or out of our own little bubble of um, influence. Have you, besides academic work, have you seen at Bowdoin breakdowns of understanding? Yeah, and especially this year, which is why I've been thinking so much about mm-hmm. it, um, where we have incidents like the tequila party uh, comes to mind, um, but there have been plenty of them, where a group of people do something that triggers a response in another group of people, or, or just other students in general. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a division between, I think, those two groups. The people who don't understand why these people are upset about what this tiny thing that they did that they don't think had any impact, really. And then this group of students can't understand why these group of students can't see why they're hurt by what happened. And I think that we should be a little, a little bit more open to understanding why did why why were you hurt by that? Why did that? That's a, that's a question I don't hear enough. Mm-hmm. Why why did that upset you? Um, more than it, it, you know, the the response is really that shouldn't have upset upset you, as opposed to why did that upset or why did that upset you? Um, there was a panel recently um, of on free expression panel with uh, a lot of professors and someone in the audience raised the question who gets to decide who's, who can be offended or not and mm-hmm. no, one, no one sort of brought this up but my, my question in response to that is um, why, why, why do we have to decide who gets why, why is it even a question you know can't we just say you know who gets to decide who, who gets to ask those kinds of questions, if that makes any sense. Right. It's, it's, it seems like a little bit of a... I mean, that's a question of legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, it's, and it can be a little frustrating to hear those kinds of questions for people who are really feeling um, hurt by things. I have three questions in my mind right now that I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, let me start with maybe the most recent one that popped to mind, which mm-hmm. is, so here you are, this white guy. Yes, right. Um, who, you know, need not take on this perspective. You know, it, you, could, you could get along very well um, saying... I have my ideas, you know, and sort of being part of a dominant, you're being part of a dominant culture or dominant perspective, and I don't need to worry about these kinds of things. Um, What's enabled you to take on this perspective of seeing the need for understanding, and it almost sounds like it's about um, a radical displacement of your center in some ways mm. um, to me that this idea of just putting aside the self and beliefs in order to just take in 
something else. Maybe that's not what you mean, but that I am, and I'm speaking slowly because I'm sort of processing yeah. um, what I'm thinking right now. It's not. It's not for you know. It's not for <laughs> dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you use the word radical, and it doesn't feel at all radical to me. Hmm. Um, I. I guess what enables me, I don't. I guess just talking to people has. Uh, I guess, you know, I feel like an outsider in some ways on this campus, even though I'm very much not an outside um, person. If that makes you know, I, I am a, in, in a terms white. of demographic. Exactly, of, exactly. Like in terms demographics, of demographics, yes, who yeah. I am. Uh, superficial I'm, demographics. I'm a white male on a liberal arts. New England ca uh, campus, so I'm in no way in, in the minority. Um, but I still feel like an outsider sometimes because I don't, you know, I'm not an athlete. I don't particularly belong to any strong group of people on campus. Um, and You're so, telling me that the Bowdoin Film Society is not shaping social life? No, not, 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 no, not in any huge way, no. <laughs> Um, so I'm sorry. Go on. I couldn't resist. No, no, no. But um, um, right. So you're not you're you're not part of an identifiable, like, yeah, strong social right, group. Exactly. On mm -hmm. And so in order to really get to know people, I've had to talk to them and get some sense of what their experiences have been. And so a lot of the people who I call my friends are also people who have been who who kind of aren't inside. So, so, you know, the, sort of those big groups. And so I think that that's sort of opened my eyes in some ways to just this realization that, okay, once you actually start asking people questions about how they feel and, and why they feel certain ways, it can actually go a long way as far as understanding more broadly why certain things happen on our campus. Um, which isn't to say that I feel like I understand completely, mm -hmm. not, not at all. Um, but. In some ways, I feel like I am more open, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense, to understanding other people on, on campus. Mm -hmm. it's, it sounds very um, self-aggrandizing, but um, I don't mean it to. I don't think it sounds. <laughs> but just, but just that this sort of not having a very. Um, Well, I would, it would like this sort of. There, it doesn't sound like you have a social identity that is an archetype yeah. on campus, yeah. and so really absent stress. absent that, mm -hmm. there have been other ways you've gotten to know right. people. Yes, and it sounds like I've talked to a, a lot of people for whom they've fallen into a number of defaults friend groups, um, mm -hmm. whether that's right. who their first year floor mates were, or yes. their teammates, mm -hmm. or an affinity right. group based on ethnicity or race, sure, or um, even political ideology, you know, right. maybe political ideology yes. or religion, mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense, that if it's if you're not right. an archetype, oh, sure. you know, then you're... 
Right, and it also, but it also makes sense, right, that there are some natural yeah. falling into, falling into yes, friendships. And, and, and I certainly form friendships on those, uh, you know, I'm best friends with my first year roommate yep. still. But that doesn't, I think in some sense I also s still have to look beyond those categories in order to make friends mm -hmm. on this campus. Yep. I'm curious, um, I, I'm just sort of on a tear about this because I've, uh, talked to a few people in in sort of rapid succession. So I've been asking this mm -hmm. question, so I figure I might as well ask you this, sure. especially because we're on the topic of um, friends, is that um, how would you describe your friend group? Would you describe it as um, homogenous or diverse? And if it's diverse, um, what kind of m sort of metrics or descriptions or... Um, if it's homogenous, why would you say that? Mm -hmm. I think it's homogenous in one way, which is that I don't have many female friends. Most, I, hmm. All of the people who I would say I'm really friendly with are male, uh, which is very different from high school. High school, huh. uh, a lot of my friends were female. Um, slightly racially diverse, mm -hmm. um, but... When you, when you are at Bowdoin, there's not a lot of opportunity to go beyond that. But I'm, fr I guess I, I'm friendly with a diverse, inter uh, racially diverse uh, group of people. Um, yeah, that's something I haven't really talked about or thought about really. Is hmm. is my, and I don't really think I have a friend group in the sense that you know we all hang out with one another. Uh, yes. I feel like I'm friends with you know certain people. And and so it's it's hard to think of it as a group, really. Exactly, right. Your collection of friends yeah, is, exactly. a better, is yeah, probably sure. a better way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. What do you think in in these cases where people seem to not be talking to each other? Yeah. Um, in the cases of cultural appropriation, mm -hmm. and then the response to mm -hmm. that. Do you see, as someone who's deeply interested in understanding, mm -hmm. do you see any? missed opportunities for bridges to understanding or ways forward to uh, better promote understanding? Hmm. I think... Hmm. I think that there are certainly... I'm 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 struck by, uh, in some ways, the administration's reactions to some of those things. In what way? I I feel that there's a lack of consistency, um, in the way they respond to different events, and it's hard to. I think that most of the people who are upset about the responses, let's say, to, um, the, those incidents of cultural appropriation are people who are more upset with the administration than they are with any member of the student body uh, or any group in the student body because, you know, the administration at, at the same time wants to be a strong voice but also has to or, or would like to foster these kinds of conversations so it's hard to maintain mm, both those positions right. as, a, as a voice saying, you know, something is, is wrong and we should 
pay attention to this while also saying this is a conversation we need to have. It's a little bit more difficult to maintain both of those roles. I think that there have been good conversations that have happened, and when they, when they have happened, they've been led by the students. Um, I'm on Yik Yak, and oh, there's a lot yeah. of... Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff on Yik Yak, especially around those incidents. Yeah, what is your motivation to be on Yik Yak? Um, it, well, <laughs> it's a good question. One thing, you, you get to know a little bit more what's going on around you. Um, it's a little bit of a instant news feed, really. Mm. Um, what kinds of things? So I know the sort of trolly things that are said yes. uh, in these in in response to the student activism or concerns about um, right. issues of cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But what's a like normal yuk yak day like? I don't check in that frequently. I check in maybe once a week or maybe twice a week. But for me, it's. You know, if I hear that something's going on, like, so I first heard about the, t- the Tequila Party incident on Yik Yak. It wasn't until a few days later that I heard uh-huh. anything from the administration. So, okay. in some sense, I'm I'm already getting the news of of what happened before the administration can, can issue any sort of um, word on it. Um, yeah. Why? Now, you're on Twitter, too, yes. right? Yeah. Um which I loved finding your Twitter feed because you're really funny on Twitter. Um, would do you feel like the anonymity of Yik Yak is important to find out those um, kinds of you know find out about those kinds of events, um, or is it just that more students are apt to use Yik Yak than? Um, I think that the anonymity has a lot to do with it. I think Yigak's anonymity has two effects, one that is good and one that is bad. When you're anonymous, you can do those trolly things Mm -hmm. without repercussion pretty easily. And that's unfortunate. That's an unfortunate Mm -hmm. side of Yigak. And I don't mean people who are critical of other people on Yigak, but people who take a very mean-spirited... Right. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And that's what I mean also yeah, by trolling. Yeah, not, yeah. No, 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 not, yeah. of not, course. Not disagreements or right. differences of, of course. opinion of or course. varying perspectives, but that hurtful, thi- yes. hurtful things right. that are said about others. But the other thing that um, anonymity on Yik does that I think is a good thing is when you're anonymous, you can make yourself a little bit more vulnerable than you would be if you had mm. a name assigned to your what you're saying. Um, and I think people have been a lot more willing to ex- or to to ask for and accept help on Yikak than they would otherwise. Oh. Can you give an example? Um, it doesn't have to be yours. It could be something. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen people saying, you know, I really need someone to talk to right now, and now Yikak has a function where you can actually chat individually with people who have handles um, or people expressing suicidal thoughts occasionally. And, you know, people always, of course, immediately respond, you know, with, with the necessary help um, and, and also good sentiments. Um, so 
that is a good function, I think, of, mm. of the... Because I don't know if those people... If people who feel that... Who need help would be as willing to, to ask for and accept yeah. the help that they need how in many, that moment. How many times have you... So how long have you been on Yak Yak? Let's start there. I think only did this year. I, have, okay. I don't know if it was... I don't even know how yeah, long yeah. Yak Yak's been around, but... Okay, so let's just say you've been on Yak Yak for about a year. Yeah. How many times would you estimate that you've seen people expressing that they're in crisis? I think probably about ten times over the course of the year. That I'm, and I'm not sure because... You know, it is something that keeps on. So right. I think it, I think probably about ten, where it's really a crisis thing. Right. You know, there's the occasional. You know, I feel really lonely in this moment. Right. Um, which is again a very vulnerable thing to say, but in terms of actual crisis um, moments, I think it's about about ten over the course of the year. Have you have you used uh, yik yak to express feelings of vulnerability or? Had needs met on Yik Yak? Um, I don't believe so. I can check. I can. I don't want um want to seem rude to to check. Um, <laughs> but I don't actually think so. Ryan is pulling. Yes, out I'm his checking phone out to check because I'm right checking now. my 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 yaks. I think mostly I just use them. Is to that a yak? I didn't even know this. You, it's a yak. It's a yak. So like a, so, Yik Yak is to t- Twitter as like yak a tweet. is to tweet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so I'm just checking to see what I've yacked personally. I don't think, I, I, don't, I really don't think I have anything. Most of my yaks are um, jokes like... Um, like or, I said, he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't want to say that. Um, LAUGHTER like Randy Nichols ought to star in his own TV show. I think that'd be really great totally. if he had his, um, yeah. So so stuff like that or yeah. stuff that I see that's interesting. I don't think I've. Is had... there is there a lot of chatter on um, Yik Yak of, you know, I'm in this class right now and it's so boring, yes. or yeah. I hate Professor So and So so much. Not, not there, a lot da, of, da, da. like specific naming things. Okay. Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> That you're yeah. not, you know, naming people specifically who you choose to um, denigrate, um, uh, and I think also that might be a function of the anonymity. So if you name a specific professor, then someone then you're knows, outing yourself potentially. Exactly, potentially yeah. yeah. Um, but not a lot of very specific. But it, it's it's a way of venting frustration for some people. I think. Did you know we were going to talk so much about Yik Yak? I didn't. <laughs> But I'm glad we are. I know, me too. It's, it's an I think interesting. It's, I think it's really important because, and I'm really glad that you're offering this perspective on the really valuable ways. Yeah. That you well, know the, the valuable functions that Yik Yak <laughs> can serve. Do you feel like I, I have this feeling? Like, I just have this sense um, that Yik Yak would be filled with. Aggression towards women, misogyny, and uh, homophobia, and I don't know why I have that not in my perception. Not in my experience, That's but good. but other people have probably had felt yeah um, that way um, because you know when I read something, you know I, I'm reading something as 
I go into Yikyak with, with the knowledge that this is just anonymous people venting frustration, so I really just scroll through really quickly. If something catches my eye, I might read it, but I'm not the kind of person who really religiously reads everything. And if something catches my eye or I don't really bother with it too much, um, so I don't have the experience of um, getting offended on Yikyak um, in the way that I understand probably other people have and can uh, yeah. experience those things. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like that just might be an orientation towards the world, you know, that you can either be saying, well, I'm going to identify the things that are upsetting to me, or I'm just going to sort of not, yeah. or and not um, invest any time in them. and just. But there have been times when I've deleted Yikak from my phone out of frustration, just, I'm not, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm especially in the wake of things like the tequila party or um, or Cracksgiving, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things where just the responses have sometimes frustrated me to such an extent that I, that I just don't want to bother with it. And I don't want to have that there as um, something to sort of make me more negative. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm so curious about the perspective that you have on writing that is quite positively psychoanalytic, you know, it's <laughs> psychoanalytic, um, and really, right. and really thoughtful. And I'm curious, is that kind of conversation something you're having regularly as writing assistants and when you took your course to become a writing assistant, or is this something that you've arrived at on your own, or through, or through some other um, work that you've done. I, well, it hasn't really been. It's not. It isn't something that we're sort of trained to deal with in a specific way in the course, um, and it's probably not something that changes my role too much. If I if I had this idea, mm-hmm. it doesn't really change my role as a writing assistant too much. It actually comes a little bit more from reading. Uh, George Orwell's Politics in the English Language, and his idea that where politicians very frequently mask their meaning using very vague language like the bill was passed, you know, what, what bill and who passed it. Um, but, but I've also thought, okay, what's, what motivations do students have to mask the meaning in that way? And I really think it comes, back, comes down to people afraid of exposing either what they don't know or what they feel in some in some ways. Um, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people who come into the writing center not really believing that their their papers are arguments. You know, I'll always, mm. I'll, I start by asking them, so what, what are you arguing in this paper? And the person will say, I'm not arguing, I'm just analyzing something. <laughs> and... And, and so, you know, in some sense, I think that they're afraid to make an argument because it forces them to make a position. And sometimes that position might make you vulnerable. Um, if you, if, you know, why, why, does, why does a certain novel have a certain impact to you? Or mm-hmm. a film, why does a film, in, uh, why does a film make you feel a certain way? Um, those the answers to those questions can sometimes be very revealing and people might not be as willing to put those answers out there. 
so this idea of um, vulnerability and the reticence to appear vulnerable has come up in quite a lot of these conversations. Yeah. I heard it in, in Michelle's. Yeah. And I'm especially, yeah. And I'm curious if you think that this is a phenomenon that's particularly that that's particular to Bowdoin, if it's particular to and then I may be I may be, these may be questions that are unfair because you aren't outside of the, your own experience, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just curious if these are, if this is a situation that's particular to Bowdoin, is it particular to your generation, is it particular to our geographical area right now, is it particular to the millennium we're in, you know, the, or the decade we're in, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'm, uh, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, taken with this idea that everything's fine and I've got everything under control, um, and that to share anything else is really problematic. I think, um, I, well, I, <laughs> it is a difficult question to, to answer or to even really deal with. Um, I don't think it's particular to Bowdoin, because I don't think it's anything especially about Bowdoin that forces people to take those positions or feel those ways. Um, but it might be, it might be a, you know, at our time, at the time in our lives that we're at, um, we have, we're getting more responsibility, and we've seen what adulthood looks like, and we feel like there are certain ways of being, of doing adulthood, um, and we might try to emulate those, mm. those, um, ways of being. That, that's the only thing that I can, I can right. think of. I think it might just be a very, really vulnerable time in our lives, and so to compensate for how vulnerable we feel, we, we try mm. to, to mask it. Right, so a sense of bravado, or yeah. bravada, I suppose, right? I don't know. Hmm. Or at least... Um, a sense, of, uh, just a sense of uh, having a sort of. Uh, I'm imagining like having this uh, sort of smooth surface when mm -hmm. actually, yeah, there's a lot more going on yes. than that. Than that, that smoothness. I saw something very interesting, and maybe this speaks to that a little bit, and it's completely unrelated. But there's the new Batman versus Superman movie, right? And I saw this person talking about, this is on Twitter, talking about how if you look at Batman and Superman from the, say, 50s and 60s, they had, you know, skin-tight, don't call them leotard, leotards mm -hmm. for fear of offense, but, you know, <laughs> leotards, yeah. and, you know, the, you know, very sort of soft um, costume. Mm -hmm. Then you go to Batman v Superman, and they've got this huge armor that that makes them so clunky and it's almost and, an exoskeleton yeah right? yeah yeah and it says you know you're not gonna see anything that's close to me it's it's mm. gonna be you're gonna you have to go through a lot in order to, to get mm -hmm, at, mm -hmm. at me um and, and maybe that's sort yeah. of the same idea I, i'm not sure it just came to mind yeah i i like <laughs> i really i like that analogy a lot um so what does um 
a liberal arts education <laughs> mean to you? Um, I'm a big admirer of the musical theater composer Stephen Sondheim, almost to an obsessive extent. Did you get to meet him when he I was didn't. here? I didn't. He was, he was year, here the year before. Oh, I couldn't, I I couldn't came tell. Here. Okay. Uh, I was so disappointed. Because when I was visiting campus, I saw the posters, and I, I thought, oh my gosh. And were you living, so you are, you, your family has a home very close to campus, Yeah, Poland, right? Maine. In Poland. 45 minutes away. And so, were you living in Poland when you came to visit? Yes. Oh, and you come back, or had it already passed? Tickets, well, tickets were sold out, you know. Oh, okay. I was very disappointed. Okay, so go on with something. But I have written, I've written letters to him, and he's responded. Really? Yeah, it's very great. Okay, so go on with um, So anyway, he's, he's talked a lot about education. He's into education, and he's taught classes about musical theater. And he's got two quotes that I find interesting. One is, you know, teaching is the sacred profession, and he thinks art is a form of teaching. And the other one, which I think applies to this question, is that education is really just making people curious about things. That education at its best is not dictating facts to people, but it's just it's it's giving them the tools they they need in order to go out and explore for themselves what they are interested in. And I feel that that's what a liberal arts education means to me. The best education that I could have received is one that makes me want to go back to my home and learn more about the things that I've talked about and seen and discussed here. And that's more or less what I've gotten at Bowdoin hmm. in specific fields. Um, but the best teachers I've had have made me cu more curious. Um, and I feel like I've learned a lot, which means I know n more now about what I don't know than I did before. Mm -hmm. So learning in some sense means learning about what you don't know and, and wanting to, to find out that stuff and recognizing that it's going to be a lifelong thing and being excited by that, um, that's what liberal arts means to me. Do you plan on, I love that, do you plan on, um, I'm not going to comment on it because I could not say it any better, so I'm going to leave it right <laughs> no. there. Um, do you plan on going back to Poland, Maine, after you're graduating? Um, maybe very briefly. I would like to be in a place, and I don't know where, uh, so I don't have a place in mind, I would like to be in a place where I can have the... Poland, Maine is a very rural area. Um, it, it makes Brunswick, Maine look, like, look positively metropolitan. Um, Did you feel like you'd moved to the big city when you came? Uh, well, here? a little bit, compared to Poland, certainly. <laughs> yeah. um, but I want to be in a place where people will come to talk and share their knowledge you know, where people like Stephen Sondheim mm -hmm. will come and, and visit and share the kinds of things that they've learned and want to impart to other people. And so that's more or less what I'm looking for. And in a place where there are, you know, there's theater and, and, and good film and stuff. Um, so th that kind of an experience um, is what I'm more or less looking for. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, what do you wish your professors know about you? It's not, um, it's actually, I think, the most difficult question of the lot. Um, it's not something that I wish 
they knew about me specifically, I wish that professors knew how important and easy it is to make um, students feel welcome and comfortable in their classroom. Um, I've taken a lot of classes where the professor had a very adversarial role with these students. Where Can it was, you give me an example of that? And you don't need, I'm not talking about names and I'm yeah. not talking about subjects. Just right, give right, me right. a sense of, if you can, what that looks like. Because I'm, I'm guessing you're not referring to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> That'd be horrible um, to describe in exact detail. No. Right, um, like, so do you remember when you walked in? <laughs> I, I, for, for one thing, so I had a class, uh, it was a small-ish seminar, 16 people, and the professor would sometimes come in and not say a word, just start handing things out, and then we would just sort of quietly begin. There's and, and no real sense of, you know, hello everyone, let's begin, um, or chastising and criticizing people for not having done something that wasn't on the syllabus, like, oh, I can't believe you haven't read that novel. Um, oh, in terms of background knowledge or it, Yeah, exactly. Right. And not, not in such a way like, um, oh, you haven't read that novel? That's a great novel. You, you really ought to check that out. But more along the lines of, you know, how do you get where you are without having read that novel? In a very kind of um, cranky, <laughs> cranky way. It's a, it's a very cranky thing to say to me. Um, Have you had that said to you personally? Yeah. And how did you feel? It felt like that novel did you a lot of good, didn't it? <laughs> um, no. Uh, was that said to you in front of other students? Not said to me specifically, but, okay, but uh, to yeah. the group of students yeah. of which I was a part. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. I, I certainly didn't have any desire to go out and read that novel, if that makes sense. Whereas you know, sometimes when people say it. it we say it in a different way, it, it, you think, oh, uh, that's something to check out. Whereas, you know, I still haven't read that novel. I've got no desire to, and I, I may never read that novel for that one reason. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make me feel excited. It didn't make me feel I was learning. It didn't make me feel curious, if that makes sense, going back to the last yes. answer. To give like sort of a counterexample, on my very first day here, my very first class here at Bowdoin, it was a Thursday, um, my first year. And if you're praising someone, you can use their name yes, if you want to. Yes, I will, because um, you like it. Um, I had my very first class at Bowdoin. I'd taken college classes in high school at Bates, but this was my first college class at Bowdoin. And I was, you know, kind of terrified and, and scared. I was you know, you go through that thing of not feeling like you belong. I'm a first-generation college student. Um, and you you feel like, you know, maybe this was a fluke. And I walked into the class. It was a film class with Trisha Welsh. And she started taking roll call. And she would sort of mingle throughout the room and talk to people and, and welcome individually people who she hadn't seen before and welcome back people who she had seen before. And she gets to my name, and she says, you know, I saw you on the quad reading the other day, and I thought you looked just like a college student. And immediately, any sort of sense that I didn't belong there hmm. was put at ease. And it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing. 
Um, she didn't even remember when I talked to her about it earlier today. Um, oh, that's really... Did you take her to the brunch? I did, yeah. That's really nice. Um, and... But, boy, did that do a lot to put me at ease. And it made me feel comfortable. And I know that some, you know, some people believe you shouldn't be necessarily really comfortable in a college classroom because you should be able to make yourself uncomfortable. But I, you know, I really feel like you have to be comfortable before you can make yourself uncomfortable. You have to, you have to, before you can go out on a limb, you have to know that the tree's there. You know, if, if it feels flimsy, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make myself even more un uncomfortable. Um, so, so that instant thing where I felt welcome, I felt like I was, I was in that room, um, did a lot to make, to ease, ease any sort of doubt I had, but also made me a lot more willing to put myself out there mm -hmm. and put my ideas out there. So I think it's important to make students feel welcome, and I don't think that that's something other, a lot of professors or, or, I think more professors should, should make an effort. That's very helpful advice that you've provided us a lovely example of how to implement. I'll ask you one last question, sure. if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for other first-gen students? Um, well, first I'll say that if you've gotten into any, wherever you are, be it Bowdoin or another place, you 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 belong there, um, and you make yourself belong there by just being there, and by sharing your experiences with other people, because other people are interested. I wish I knew that. I wish I knew that other people were interested in things I had to say, um, and. And just talk to people, not necessarily about your own experiences, because you know that can be difficult sometimes. But I, I, I would be surprised if there weren't more people who were going through the same things that you're going through. And if you, and as soon as you as soon as you let yourself have those conversations, the sooner you can kind of put those anxieties at ease. I didn't feel like I put those anxieties at ease until well into my first year, maybe at the end of my first year, maybe even into my sophomore year here. Um, but start having those conversations and sharing your experiences and letting other people share their experiences and just realize that you all belong there and you're all uh, making the place a better place by having those conversations, by understanding one another a little bit better. Thank you so much. It's been Thank great you. talking yeah, to great. you. And now I know a lot more about Yik Yak. <laughs>